Man, that intro music always gets me fired up. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Most Accurate Podcast from 444 Fantasy Football. I'm John Paulson. John Daigle's off this week, so I thought it'd be a good time to bring on a couple of my colleagues at 444, our director of uh, DFS, TJ Hernandez, who you can find on Twitter at TJ Hernandez, and senior analyst and offensive line expert, Justin Edwards. You can find uh, Justin on Twitter at Justin underscore Redwards. There's an R in front of Edwards there. Uh, for some reason, maybe Justin can explain that later on. Um, before we begin, I want to talk about the uh, underdog promo. Uh, deposit 10 bucks into a new underdog account, and you'll receive a free 444 Pro or DFS subscription plus 100% bonus deposit match up to $100. You must use the promo code 444. This is a great way, if you don't already have an underdog account, to get a free uh, uh, subscription to 444 on the cheap. Remember, the DFS subscription has everything that the pro subscription has, except all the DFS content that TJ is in charge of. So go for the DFS subscription. Even if you don't play, you'll get some extra info there. Uh, and you must, again, must use promo code 444. So getting into the, the, the podcast today, the, the idea that sparked this conversation uh, was a t- tweet that I saw from TJ talking about dead zone running backs. And uh, those are running backs going in the third to sixth round. So, TJ, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what dead dead zone strategy uh, and how you're approaching it this year? Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I mean, dead zone is a little bit of a, of a misdirection there. I, I mean, you see it, and it's you kind of think I should be avoiding running backs at all costs in those rounds. And and to an extent, that's been true. Um, but really, it's more of a a praise of wide receivers. Uh, going in that range then it really is a, a knock on running backs and a lot of the the dead zone discussion has uh, been birthed from from best ball so it, it doesn't always translate perfectly to uh, to redraft obviously because uh, in best ball we have no in-season management where uh, in in redraft we can make up for our mistakes through trades and waiver wires but the the data does kind of help us uh give us a, a really good idea of how we should be constructing our rosters in terms of, of draft and, and where the most value is coming from. So uh, a, a lot of this has come from old PPR best ball data. We've kind of shifted to a, a half PPR as our standard, um, both here at 4 for 4 and, and just kind of the, the bigger sites across the industry. Um, but even with half PPR data, some of these dead zone ideas have rang true. So if we just look at at average points or or average points contributed to the team um, in rounds one and two running backs just blow away wide receivers Um, in rounds three through six we've seen wide receivers really jump out ahead of running backs and then in the other single digit rounds seven through nine it kind of evens out going back to best ball if we look at things like uh, team advance rates or win rates kind of the same thing positive win rates for the collective of running backs in the first two rounds negative win rates for wide receivers in those first two rounds and then it flips in rounds three through six and if we look at things such as league winners again i'm just going to use best ball as a primer here um, those players that have had advance rates 10 percent over expectation those are just like the the top call it 10 or 15 players over the last two years again just using underdog best ball mania uh we've seen in rounds three through six zero running backs have hit that league winning threshold in that three through six range where we've seen eight wide receivers in that range and going back to the first couple rounds uh we've seen dominant running backs um, come out of the first couple rounds and it kind of makes sense if we're thinking about how we're projecting running backs right now we have 
12 to 14 15 running backs going in the first two rounds so we get these huge runs on running backs in the first two rounds and then teams still want to fill out their running back uh, uh roster right so we end up with these guys that sure we can it's usually because we can project them for for good volume if they're going in this three through six range top call top 24 running backs um but they usually have a couple things working against them whether it be age injuries um bad offenses and, and uh when we have multiple things working against our running backs usually it tips the scales in that we want to be loading up on those wide receivers in that range. And John, you did your, your rankings review um, a, a couple of weeks ago and, and you noted in the wide receiver article, wide receivers so deep and it has been for so many years that if we are able to nail down our running back in the first couple of rounds or two running backs, even in the first couple of rounds, then we can really just hammer wide receiver and come away with a beautiful looking team. Now, all that said, we should be adjusting this year by year. Um, we should really be taking a, a note of what we think is going to happen in the year upcoming, not the years past. And, and I actually do think that this is a year where that quote-unquote dead zone actually does have a, a lot of fruit to bear. And, and this should all be fluid on, on how we're drafting, right? If we come away with, say, no running backs in, in the first uh, couple of rounds and for whatever reason, and you aren't somebody that is comfortable with a zero running back team, by all means, uh, you know, draft running backs in these in these rounds but uh i think we have to be extra diligent in deciding which running backs we really want to take stands on in these rounds whereas in the first couple of rounds like you could fall into some some league winners at the position um in, in these middle rounds it, it's tougher because like i said there's just so many question marks with so many of these guys that was a good outline of the the dead zone uh approach and why they're why it's called the dead zone um i I kind of first heard the term coined from the zero RB folks and they tell you not to draft anybody in this range. And I'm, I'm not sure that the zero RB folks should be trusted. So I'm always skeptical about that. Um, so I question everything that they have to say. Um, getting into this, I think you outlined it pretty well. These are guys that have some warts. Um, and this is true every year. There's, there's the guys going third through sixth round are interesting players, but, they have some things working against them and we'll get into that as we go player by player through this, through these, uh, you know, four rounds or so. So, um, the thing that I noticed this year though, is that these RB two rankings are, these players are a little more intriguing to me than they are, than they were in years past. There are some players going in the fourth, fifth, sixth round who might see 20 touches a game. And I follow the volume. I follow touches. It doesn't always work out perfectly, but, you know, touches and uh, fantasy points correlate pretty heavily. So uh, we'll get into the who those players are and maybe some players in this range to avoid based on some some red flags. Uh, and this is also one of the reasons we brought Justin on because he's just finished his three-part uh, offensive line series, and he's going to get into, some, into the weeds on some of these offensive lines. Uh, more and more over the last, I would say, five years, I really started taking that the offensive line into account when ranking these guys and trying to sort out, especially these players that are all kind of similar on a tier. If you have a really elite offensive line that gives you a, a leg up, even if maybe you're not as talented as a player ahead of you that has a terrible offensive line. So that's something uh, Justin's going to comment on. Um, and then I also did a, a study, my free agency study where I, you know, some of the uh, free agent contracts in and out on the offensive line to see who, uh, has been investing in the offensive line who might see a jump in offensive line quality. 
Uh, and that should better uh, inform us as we start to draft this this group. So let's just get right into it. Saquon Barkley is now going in the late second round, but he'll he'll slip to the third round in some of these drafts. Um, I think the key here will give Justin a chance to talk is that the offensive line for the Giants was so bad last year. Uh, Barkley was coming off of the ACL injury. Uh, he caught a lot of passes, but was not very efficient at running the ball. Uh, do you think, Justin, that the offensive line for the Giants is improved enough? You have them ranked 29th in your rankings, but they, they've added five net players to this group. Uh, do you think it's improved enough that uh, we can take Bar- Bar- uh, Barkley uh, confidently in the late second round? Yeah, I think so. Um, this is kind of a pessimistic view to rank them this low. Um, it doesn't usually bear fruit when you just revamp the entire offensive line all at once, although it did happen in Buffalo a couple of years ago. And interestingly enough, New York added that same offensive line coach uh, this offseason. So the same guy who made it work with Buffalo a couple of years ago is now in New York. Um, they really do have a lot more talent in the room than they did last year. So, I mean, they could, if they coalesce, if they gel quickly, they could be an, an average unit, um, which would be leaps and bounds over the probably bottom three unit they've been for the last year or two. Yeah. And if you're going from bottom of the league to mediocre, that's a huge boost for Barkley. I mean, that's huge. They don't have to be elite to really improve his outlook. Uh, TJ, you have any thoughts on Barkley? Yeah, I mean, as a as a lifelong Bills fan, I I was upset to see Dable <laughs> to see uh, Brian Dable over in New York. But uh, I I think a, a coach, a, a, a offensive guru like Dable is somebody that could really boost an offense. How how he's going to implement uh, Saquon into the offense is is TBD. But we know Saquon can catch. We know he can handle a big workload if he can stay healthy. Obviously, been dealing with some injuries. The concern for me is um, just his some of his advanced metrics just fell off an absolute cliff last year. He was tied for 41st in um, uh, yards um, after contact per attempt, which is kind of a red flag. But again, dealing with injuries, comes back healthy. Um, I, I think he is actually fairly priced at this, um, at where he's going kind of fringe second, third round. And all of the, there's like a big chunk of these guys that depending on your draft can go at the end of the second round, beginning of the third, and, and a lot of them might fall into the, like, like technically they're dead zone guys, but we have a really big chunk of guys here at this turn that I think are just fantastic picks. Yeah, and you could uh, start off with the running back in the first round, go receiver in the second, and might get one of these guys early in the third round, which is a pretty strong start. I was actually going to mention the same uh, advanced stat. He was also, uh, in terms of yards per contact at, per attempt, he was also uh, 49th in uh, out of 61 eligible backs in PFF rushing grade. Um, not great. Yeah, his his advanced stats were not good, but I'm, I'm trying to chalk that up to just you know coming back from the knee injury. He had an ACL MCL tear, and maybe you know at 25 he should be young enough to re- recover from this. I'm not like super optimistic about him, but I'm I'm starting to warm to the idea. If you can get him at early third or near this one, you know, two three turn is pretty pretty yeah. appealing, especially um, if he's your RB two. I think he's yeah, ideal as an RB two for sure. Uh. Leonard Fournette is the next guy I'd like to talk about. I'm just going to go through these in uh, ADP order right now. Uh, Fournette, you, you know, signed a, a big deal worth up to 24 million, three-year deal from the Bucks. So it looks like they're committed to him. He's 27 year old, uh, 27 years old. Uh, he was the RB five prior to his ankle injury in Week 15. Uh, he was averaging 92 total yards and 0.77 touchdowns. The the touchdowns were great. Uh, it's a good offense, but the key to his Fournette, uh, his scoring was uh, his involvement in the passing game, and he led all running backs in targets uh, with 77 through week 14. 
Uh, they did ra- uh, draft Rashad White. Um, they have one of the best offensive lines in the league, according to, to Justin. Uh, for, I think you ranked him fourth, Justin. Um, I don't. I'm, this, the interesting thing here is how much does White? I don't think Gio Bernard's much of a threat anymore. He was basically kind of shuffled off to the side late last year. Uh, the question is, White as a rookie, really? You know, I've seen some good pass catching stats from him from college. People are kind of talking him up, but as a rookie, do you guys think that he will, uh, you know, get Tom Brady's? trust and enough to eat into Fournette's uh, workload without an injury to Fournette. TJ, why don't you go first? Yeah, that was actually the the main point I was going to bring up on White is that uh, Tom Brady is such a stickler for things like like pass blocking. If there is even one small error, um, we're just going to see him shun to the sideline. And with Fournette, I mean, you mentioned his, his passing game work, and this kind of reminds me of what I think could happen in Green Bay where there's just so much um, passing work to go to the running backs. People are looking for the the receivers to place Devon to replace Devontae in Green Bay. In Tampa, Godwin is a pup candidate. We got word that Gronk is is retiring, so people are saying, "Oh, look, let's let's go after Cameron Brait." Things like this. I think Leonard Fournette is just on track to be that target leader, like you mentioned, throughout the the first half of the season um, until Godwin comes back. They have no reason to rush Godwin back. So if I miss out on a first-round running back, and for whatever reason I I love like the, the hero running back type build, after someone like Aaron Jones, like I'm comfortable taking Fournette in the first two rounds if I don't think I'm going to come out with a, another running back for a few rounds and him just anchoring my team. I, I love Fournette this year. Justin, with the offensive line real strong, I think one of these the questions that I have ranking Barkley and Fournette is I don't know who I'd rather have. I think I'd rather have Fournette, and I've got I'm just looking at my rankings right now. I've got Barkley one spot ahead, just projected. I think I'd rather have Fournette because the offensive line is as good. We, we're, he's probably as good of a runner at this point. We don't know where Barkley's at with his knee. Uh, he seems like he's trusting it more. But uh, do you have a take on Fournette versus Barkley, or just Fournette in general? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm on the same page. I think I'd rather have Fournette. Um, kind of like what TJ was saying, um, Brady's not going to want a rookie back there until he can prove that he's good in pass protection and all those, all the nuance of that. Um, we saw what happened with Ronald Jones throughout the season, uh, throughout last season. Fournette was pretty much out touching him three to one or something like that by the end of the year. Um, yeah, the offensive line in the general is super strong. They got rid of, or they lost Kappa, Ali Marpet's gone. They brought in Shaq Mason for like a fifth rounder from New England, which was probably the steal of the offseason. So I think they're still in good shape. I think Fournette's going to carry the load again, and it's probably a better option than Barkley behind the Giants' offense in general. Yeah, and Fournette catches uh, passes too. Barkley catches passes, but uh, this Tampa Bay offense is probably going to score more touchdowns. I think we can safely say that. So the next player that's going in in this dead zone is uh, Nick Chubb. Uh, I moved Chubb down. Uh, It wasn't like... I didn't like him or anything like that, but this whole Deshaun Watson situation is just, I can't be too optimistic about the Browns offense uh, with Jacoby Brissett uh, running things. So uh, Chubb moved down as a result. I I do think he is one of the best, if not the best pure runners in the league. Uh, He's got serious competition for touches with Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson. Uh, He's got a great offensive line. Justin, you have him ranked seventh, Uh, but this Deshaun Watson situation is, is dicey. Uh, you could see a, a scenario where maybe the Browns go super run heavy and there's just tons of carries available for everybody. And he's always been one that got 18 plus, you know, touches a, a game, but he doesn't have that 25, 
you know, 30 touch upside with catches because he doesn't, you know, doesn't play a big role in the, in the passing game. Um, Justin, do you want to talk a little bit about the offensive line or, or maybe the, the backfield in general? And I just feel like the quarterback situation is kind of weighing him down. Right. Yeah. Uh, definitely makes it tough with not knowing who the quarterback's going to be or if it's going to be Jacoby Brissett for 16 games or eight games or four games or what have you. Um, I do like this offensive line a lot. There are some issues with Jack Conklin, who didn't see the field much last year, and he's still not on the field during a, any of these OTAs or mini camps or whatever they're called in, <laughs> in June. But um, I did look into the on-off splits with Conklin last year, and they're, they're stark. Um, like Baker's completion percentage was 11% less with him off the field, which is huge. His yards per attempt were 26 uh, lower with him off the field. The rushing yards before contact was like 0.2 yards per rush, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when it's 30 carries a game or 200 carries in a season. Um, so they might end up being quite a bit lower than seventh if Jack Conklin doesn't see the field. Um, I don't really have any takes on that depth chart. But, I mean, Chubb's – or not Chubb. Um, Hunt's still there, right? Yep. Yep, Hunt's still there, and there, you know, he's been kind of a trade rumor, you know, guy all off season, but nothing's happened, and they're actually talking about extending him. Um, I don't know if it, it, things have gotten serious in that front, but you know, Chubb is—I would describe Chubb in the third round as a, you're, you're hitting a, a single, and you're not gonna—he's not gonna cost you your league or anything like that, and he might end up winning it for you if there's an injury to, to Hunt or something, or maybe Deshaun Watson is able to play. I don't know. TJ, any thoughts on this uh, backfield? Yeah, I mean, the thing that, that that's always concerned me about Chubb and, and the reason I've always just been somewhat low on him is obviously isn't going to give you a ton in, in the passing game. And with Hunt there, any player that doesn't have a, a realistic chance at a uh, the overwhelming majority of, of the touches in his backfield um, is going to give me a reason for concern. He only had six games last year where he saw two-thirds or more of the backfield touches. Now, Oftentimes that still translates to 18 or 19 touches, but as you mentioned, John, uh, that 25 touch upside is just almost never there for him without an injury. And with the concerns about the offense, kind of probably headed in, most likely headed in the wrong direction out of this group at the the two three turn, uh, probably my least favorite. Now, with that said. I think leading the league in rushing yards is very well within his range of outcomes. How much does that translate into to scores and, and actual, um, you know, like fan, huge fantasy upside? I'm not sure, but I agree. Probably is the best pure runner. Not a guy that I'm taking off my board by any means, but out of this group, I, I prefer to get him when he falls a few spots past ADP than just blindly snagging him at the turn just because I am uh, I'm void of running back at that point. Yeah, I think Chubb is... Uh, of the list of guys we're going to talk about today, he's like the most fun for me to watch. I think he's mo the most talented player and he has a great offensive line. So it's hard to pass him up in the third round. I mean, I was taking him in the second round some last year, um, but this, you, you just can't get over the fact that this offense is going to be worse. If it goes from Baker Mayfield to Jacoby Brissett as the starter for the majority of the season. Um, Javante Williams, next, next player up. Uh, I, I was ranking him in the top, eight or so when it looked like melvin gordon was going to move on he's his advanced stats are great he's a really fun player to watch as well uh but i had to move him down quite a bit once uh, gordon resigned uh i just don't see him seeing enough touches relative to the rest of the players even going below him here next two guys especially 
uh, and three of the next four, four of the next five, five of the next six <laughs> going after him. I don't see him getting the touches. Uh, the, the good news is, is that Russell Wilson is coming in. This offense uh, is going to be uh, better overall. Uh, I don't know about this offensive line though, Justin, what do you, what are your thoughts on their off season so far? Pretty middle of the road. Um, they kind of shed a couple like replacement level players. And then they went and got Billy Turner from green Bay. Who's, more or less a replacement level player as well. So they're just kind of middle of the road. Um, and during my studies on this, if you're in that middle pack, it's really not, you're not doing much to boost or hinder your fantasy options. So I don't think there's much, much to look at there. Yeah. You average 14.4 touches per game as a rookie. Um, ninth after ninth in yards after contact per carry. Uh, First in broken tackles per carry, but Gordon was no slouch. He was 16th and 6th in those metrics, respectively. Uh, TJ, Javante Williams in the third round. Are you in on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious concerns that you mentioned are there. Uh, I, I've kind of warmed to Javante. I've been doing a, a ton of best ball drafts since even before the NFL draft. But from the Melvin Gordon signing on, pretty much every week, Javante Williams' ADP has dropped one to two spots. Uh, so that is obviously going to make me like a player a lot more the, if he keeps getting cheaper. Uh, the, uh, the, the bull arguments for Javante Williams is that Melvin um, was out there for a long time before the Broncos re-signed him. They only gave him $2.5 million. This is a completely new staff with a completely new offense. So I, I, I think that um, projecting exactly what they did last year um, might be a little short-sighted. There's a chance that Javante is just so good that this new staff uh, sees it after the first couple of games and, and does allow that to that flip that we thought was going to happen last year to actually happen. And Melvin Gordon isn't quite at that vaunted 30 year uh window but he is in his age 29 season so i, I could see a scenario where you draft javante here you have a, a few weeks of frustration and then this offense is just so good with with him and russ on the field together um that he just kind of pulls away but uh that that is obviously an unknown but again with his adp continuing to slip i've actually warmed on on him quite a quite a bit what yeah javante guys, oh sorry, go what, ahead justin what do you guys think about melvin and like the end of the ninth. I'm drafting every Bronco I can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I look at this, like if you just project what they did last year, they probably should both be ranked in the low twenties. Um, I, I am projecting a shift to Javante, but I just don't have that confidence with, I mean, Melvin Gordon's talented still. He's still running the ball well. Uh, and the fact that they brought him back just indicates that, you know, they don't want to just totally go bell cow with Javante, but I think he has, um, I think he's got top five upside if anything were to happen to Melvin, uh, pretty easily. So, it, you know, and then Gordon in the ninth, I don't know, like, I think that's a pretty talented player to get at that point in the draft, but I'm, you know, I think I'm looking at receivers at that point or tight ends at that point in the draft. Yeah, this feels like a situation where even if at the end of the year, it's say it comes out to like a 60-40 split in, in Javante's favor, that they're could and probably will be games where Javante is just playing so well that he has like a 90% touch share in, in random weeks be, um, just because things are going so well. So um, there, there's always the hot hand aspect, I think. Let's move on to another player that I can't really believe is going in the third round, but at the same time, I understand why. Uh, James Conner, he's the 15th uh, running back off the board. I think he should be going three spots higher. Uh, Chase Edmonds is out of the way. 
his primary competition for touches is the newly signed uh, Daryl Williams, who I don't think is going to be have as big a role with Arizona as he did with Kansas City. Uh, basically, Connor is better than Daryl Williams in every uh, aspect of football, in my opinion, uh, looking at the advanced stats there. And then, you know, Benjamin and then uh, six round pick Keontae Ingram. In the five games that Edmonds missed last year, uh, Connor averaged 20.8 touches, including five catches per game for 20.7 fantasy points per game. He was a touchdown monster and should continue to be a touchdown monster. Uh, maybe a kind of an unexciting, unsexy pick in the third round. But I think, like we were talking about Chubb being a single, I think you're hitting a double if you get Connor in the sec- in the third round. Who wants to kick off Connor? <laughs> Who wants to tell yeah. me I'm wrong? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to tell you you're wrong, but I am a little worried about all of those touchdowns. <laughs> that like 18 touchdowns is so many to depend on, and then without like a ton of usage. I mean, he had 239 touches, which is not light, but then like Najee had 10 touchdowns on almost 400 touches. I don't know. There's just it feels like there's some regression with with uh, Connor, and that's fair. He finished uh, RB seven though, so you know you don't need you don't need all of those to get to that level. What do you think of uh, Connor in this Arizona offense, TJ? Yeah, so Connor specifically, I, I just started my series on on touchdown regression, expected touchdowns, and uh, he did have the highest touchdown rate in the league he scored on seven and a half percent of his opportunities which is astronomical usually we're around three and a half percent for a running back um but if we look at his expected touchdowns sure he scored 18 but he was still expected around 10 or 11 so he was expected to score the uh seventh most touchdowns based on his usage and where that usage happened so he can still see a drop off in touchdowns go back to a normal touchdown rate and still pay off his adp if if we if we regress him back to that 10 or 11 touchdowns that he was expected to score last year, he would have finished as the RB 15. So basically exactly where he's going. So we know his upside in this office. We saw it last year. So obviously counting on him to replicate that is going to be a little bit tough, but I think out of, out of players you're drafting from him on, I I think the downside is actually a lot less than any of these players. So I, I think Connor's fairly priced, uh, the way I've been drafting, like I usually have a running back or two before him. So he's kind of just, uh, I, I've kind of shunned him in favor of some wide receivers or like a Kyle Pitts that I love in this area. But if you find yourself in a pickle, like I don't think you're going to lose a lot by drafting James Conner right here. Yeah, I think you could draft a receiver or a tight end perhaps in the second round after drafting running back in the first, and you can get James Conner in the third. And I think that's a really strong start. The other issue is that your expected touchdown, you know, expected number of touchdowns was based on a season where chase Edmonds played a lot and took a lot of his touches like a lot of connor's touches are going to be free to, or you know those are going to go to connor now and you know i think his even though his maybe number of touchdowns he scored uh will be less um it might increase his expected might actually increase based on the number of touches he's getting so that's an interesting uh, kind of quandary the offensive line's not great you have him 25th justin so that's one of those issues, but he catches the ball. He's a dual threat. So it's not as big of a, an issue for me. Um, Ezekiel Elliott is another intriguing name. Uh, we don't usually see him going third, fourth round. He's got, I think he's going the fourth round right now. Uh, they did have some offensive line losses. Maybe you can speak to that just, uh, Justin, but they have good depth waiting in the wings to kind of pick up the, the pieces. Um, is he passes prime? Uh, I don't know. I saw some good, uh, advanced stats of his uh, prior to the injury he did sprain his knee uh, and that sort of kind of sunk his uh, value heading into the second 
half of the season. Um, just you want to speak on the uh, offensive line losses and whether or not this uh, unit's going to be able to absorb them? Yeah, for sure. Um, this was one of the deepest units in the league. Um, them and division mates Philadelphia are always paying attention to their offensive line. Um, they lost Lyle Collins, who's got a ton of run the last few seasons because the Cowboys are always dealing with offensive line injuries, um, particularly um, um, Tyron Smith. I forgot Tyron Smith's name from it. Um, but when Tyron Smith is on the field, he's very possibly the best lineman in the league. Um, they have Zach Martin, who's possibly the best guard in the league. So it's hard to knock him down too much just from losing a couple guys. But yeah, I am kind of worried for them if they do keep dealing with these injuries. They're all fine now, but they have a history of guys going down for half a season at a time. So we'll see. It's just bad luck, I assume, unless it's the turf in Dallas. Yeah, TJ, uh, Elliot, in his first few games, he had a tough tough game against the Bucks, 39 total yards, but he had 97 yards and a score against the Chargers, 116 total yards and two touchdowns against the Eagles, 143 yards and a touchdown against the Panthers in week four, and that included a 47-yard run, uh, kind of questioning whether or not he's really washed or anything like that. It's the third longest of his career. He had 112 total yards and two touchdowns in week five, and then 119 total yards in week six, and after the bye, he didn't gain more than uh, 76 total yards in a game until week 18. Um, it was 19.7 touches prior to the bye, 15.1 touches after the bye. Yards per carry went from 5.11 to 3.55. And Dallas wasn't, I asked you offline, you know, what was Dallas doing? Because his uh, Pollard's touches didn't really spike when they started r ratcheting back uh, Elliott. So what are we going to see from this backfield this year with a healthy Elliott? Yeah, and and what we talked about was that we saw that um, that neutral pass rate just absolutely soar. I mean, the we we've seen multiple seasons now where Pollard has been more efficient than Zeke. Last year, Pollard's eighth in yards after contact per attempt. Zeke was twenty first um, the year before. Uh, tons of efficiency, efficiency metrics pointed to, towards Pollard, and I, the argument that I would have for for Pollard really eating into Zeke's workload this year is that this is just an offense that's absolutely um in flux they're now without amari cooper they have gallup who can be uh who, who is a pup candidate to start the season so this is an offense that could be really looking for a spark i mean we hear the off-season reports of you know every single running back that knows how to catch passes oh now they're lining up in the slot with pollard i think there probably is um there probably is something to that just because their their weapons are going to be depleted from what they had last year i know they drafted uh, they drafted tolbert they have james washington a lot of people like like Schultz this year, um, but I think just from a a having playmakers on the field standpoint, we could see a lot more power this year. And and it feels like Zeke is thirty five years old, but he's only going to his age twenty seven season. Uh, but but you mentioned that that second half decline last year of course although playing with injuries um we've just consistently seen pollard smash Zeke in, in efficiency metrics for multiple years now. So I think Zeke probably has I. I I think there's enough concern to say he has a lot of downside, even at his ADP right now. Yeah, pick 39 is just not used to seeing him available at that point in the draft. I don't think it's ever happened, uh, honestly. So he's an intriguing player if he's fully healthy, and it seems like he is. We'll see. Uh, Travis Etienne is the next player on the list to talk about. This 
is a very intriguing situation uh, given the new regime in Jacksonville. We have James Robinson coming off of an Achilles injury, which has submarined more than uh, a few uh, running backs careers over the years. Although it sounds like he's not going to be ready for camp, but might be ready for week one. Uh, you know, Adam Hutchinson, our injury expert does wonder if he, if Robinson is the type that's of back that's going to be kind of be sapped of, his what of athleticism he was. He's not like the greatest athlete in the world as it is, uh, but he's a really crafty running runner and all that. But I wonder, he wonders if maybe that burst is whatever burst he did have is going to be gone with the with the with the Achilles injury. And then ETN has this reputation for being uh, just this pass catcher, but I believe he had two really good seasons of uh, you know fifteen hundred plus rushing yards, if I'm remembering correctly, in college prior to his final season. Uh, and he's not like this 190 pound back either. He's listed at over 200 pounds and uh, has a you know three down ability, I think. So, offensive line seems like it's maybe mediocre. Justin, what do you think? Yeah, pretty pretty mediocre. They shuffled a lot up there. Um, yeah, they were kind of middle of the road in most metrics last year, and then kind of did like one one for one replacements of uh, Andrew Norwell going to Washington and Brandon Scherf coming from Washington. Um, Brandon Linder retired kind of surprisingly. They did get a guy, Luke Fortner, in the third round from Kentucky. So he should fill that void if he wins the job during training camp. But yeah, kind of the same with um, who we were talking about earlier with Denver. It's just middle of the road. Probably shouldn't affect it too much. Yeah, the interesting thing with just looking at the football outsider stats is that they're 13th. They were 13th in rushing yards, offensive offensive line, I'm sorry, adjusted line yards, 13th, and then they were 32nd in adjusted sack rate, which is, no, I'm sorry, not 32nd, 10th in adjusted sack rate. I was reading the wrong column there. So I guess it's not as weird as I thought. That's actually not a bad offensive line as of last year. So we'll see if that carries over with the new regime. Um, TJ, any thoughts on this James Robinson situation as it relates to ETN? I mean, ETN's coming off his own serious injury but seems to be further ahead yeah and and atn's injury was i mean it was before the season he's going to have a, a full calendar year for um um before the season starts to get healthy and, and should be at 100 percent. where james robinson's happened late in the year um i mean even last year when atn was a rookie and we knew james robinson was completely healthy atn was going 56th overall as a rookie before he got hurt now we don't even know if james robinson is going to start the season atn's only up 15 uh adp spots from last year and these are the kind of offenses i i love investing in doug peterson's now there as a head coach we have a quarterback who was being hailed as the best prospect since um, Andrew Luck. ATN is the only running back taken in the first round last year. They upgraded their wide receivers with Christian Kirk. I think with Christian Kirk and Marvin Jones spreading the field out, and then with ATN and, and LaVisca Chenault, uh, you know, doing a lot of, of unique stuff underneath with Doug Peterson calling plays, he led Carson Wentz to a almost MVP year in Carson Wentz second year. Um, this is an offense that I just want pieces of, and I think ATN could be um, a camara deandre swift type player and if we if we rewind and get uh we we take away the the urban meyer fiasco and we have this offense in the second year i think all of these guys are going a couple rounds early i think atn's like a a second or third round pick if if he doesn't um if we're not coming off this debacle of a jaguar season so i think he's one of the better dead dead zone running back values in a player that just has 
tremendous upside. As you mentioned, John, he could just do so many things as a running back. Versus his versatility is insane. So I actually like him in the Jaguars a lot. Yeah, I just looked it up. Sixteen hundred fourteen yards in twenty nineteen as a rusher. Sixteen hundred fifty eight yards uh, in twenty eighteen as a rusher, and then he really picked up the passing game involvement as a as a you know, senior. Forty eight catches, five hundred eighty eight yards, while adding nine hundred fourteen yards on the ground. He had seventy touchdowns in college. Uh, just rushing touchdowns, 78 total touchdowns. So he's a pretty exciting player. And with the regime, sh- regime change there uh, and an up-and-coming quarterback and a decent offensive line, it uh, he's extremely intriguing as well. I guess this, this Elliott versus ETN question is going to be something to watch over the summer. Who's going to go with the proven talent and who's going to go with the guy that has some upside, but we don't know about the the quote-unquote RB1 there, James Robinson. Um Talking about James Robinson with an Achilles tear, we're moving on to the next player, Achilles tear, uh, call him Cam, Achilles tear, Akers. He came back early. This is all we talk about with Cam Akers is the, the Achilles tear. Like, is he going to be, he was really good as a rookie. Like, his rushing grades are great. Uh, advanced stats are pretty good. And then came back uh, to try to help his team win a Super Bowl. And it was brutal uh, in terms of his efficiency. Now, he, like, did what he needed to do got his two or three yards of carry, but that was basically it. I mean, it was under two yards per carry when you count that first game back. And, you know, the offensive line looks good. Justin, you can comment on that. They're eighth uh, in your rankings. Um, and then it does appear that they do want him. I mean, I'm not really worried about, like, Daryl Henderson. Like, I think he's a good player, but it doesn't seem like they want uh, Henderson to have a huge role in this offense. They want to feed Akers based on what they did with him coming back from injury last year. So, you know, he's going in the fourth round. Is he, a, is he a value there, Justin, or what do you think? Yeah, it, I mean, I'm not worried about Daryl Henderson either. Um, but it was stark how unexplosive he was when he came back. And maybe he was pushing it. Um, but you think they would have not let him on the field if they thought he was still injured. So maybe it was just a, a blip, um, that whole playoff run. Clearly they did fine without his explosiveness. They still went to and won the Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, I don't know if I would like a lot of cam makers on my teams, but I mean, if he hits on in this explosive offense with a great offensive line, I mean, he could be a top 12 running back. I just wouldn't put all my chips in that basket. I don't think. Yeah. The interesting thing with, with, uh, the acres is that Henderson is going to pick 140. So you could have him in the 12th round. I mean, I don't, you know, you don't usually handcuff your own guys, but you know, Henderson, we, we saw posted, you know, fringe RB one high end RB two numbers when he was a starter. And if you're worried about acres Achilles, you could draft both and lock up one of the best, you know, running back in one of the best offenses in the league. Um, TJ, how worried are you about acres? Do you think that he's a value in the fourth or, would you prefer to go another direction? I think this is kind of where it, it starts to fall off pretty hard for me. And if uh, if I'm in a position where I'm, I'm really scrambling for running back, I think some guys that are coming up in in the later rounds, like especially like two or three rounds later, I, I'd rather invest in. And the, the gap between him and Daryl Henderson is so wide that I think Henderson probably has some standalone value just because of, of how ineffective Akers was late in the season. Now, obviously, he's going to have a lot more time to recover from his injury. He just could come back as the rookie he was. Um, but with that massive gap and with how good Daryl Henderson was when he was given the opportunity, uh, I, I think I'd rather, if, if I'm going to 
want pieces of this offense, I think I'd rather just take that 12th rounder on, on Henderson. Akers working in his favor is that he's really young and apparently he's been working really hard this offseason. I mean, you hear all that kind of, you know, nonsense in the offseason, but apparently he hasn't taken much of a break and is uh, working his way back. So I'm, I'm rooting for him. I, you know, the Achilles tear is really tough. Uh, the next, another really intriguing player coming up here, and this is a, a guy that's moved up a little bit in my rankings due to the offensive line. Justin, you can comment on on this, but Brees Hall, uh, they really made some good uh, moves with the Jets' offensive line, but it's still the Jets. It's hard to get over this 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 Jets' offense being so bad for so long. Uh, Zach Wilson didn't really repair that issue last year, but they do have a ton of talent now in the, at the receiver at the receiving core. Uh, you know, Wilson has upside as a quarterback and now they've added Brees Hall, uh, a little surprising that they did, but uh, you know, Michael Carter was good last year, but not bell cow type good. Um, so my assumption here is that he's going to come in and lead this backfield in touches, but Carter will be involved there. There probably will be some sort of a split or committee here. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to get too excited about Brees Hall. Um, but with this offensive line, are we going to see an uptick in their rushing efficiency and perhaps rushing touchdowns, Justin? I think it's very, very possible. Um, they they lost Morgan Moses, who is probably one of the weaker pieces on their line. Um, they added Lakin, Lakin Tomlinson from the 49ers, who played with Salah a couple of years ago, although the other side of the ball. And really, they're getting um, a first-rounder back in Mekhi Becton, presumably, um, the, the story with Becton is odd. He's missed so much time in his two years. Um, he never got back on the field after an injury last year because he was dealing with weight problems, which is always a red flag for a professional athlete when you can't even play because you're so overweight. Um, but he's incredible when he's on the field. So we'll see uh, this could be a great line, like a top 10, maybe a top five line, but it really hinges on. Becton and not having to put a replacement level or below replacement level uh, tackle on the left side of uh, Zach Wilson. And how do you see this backfield splitting, uh, TJ? Do you think that Carter is going to be much of a factor or is it going to be mostly Hall? I, I think they probably um, go into the season, <clears throat> given Brees Hall's draft capital, um, giving him all the opportunity in the world to, to be the guy. The issue here is Carter was decent last year, like you said, but they also have the second hardest schedule for the first half of the season. And that's not looking at last year's data. That's looking at projected win totals from DraftKings. If we take the average win totals for their opponents over those first nine weeks, they have the second hardest schedule. So the issue is obviously we want very positive game scripts for our running backs. The Jets just might not be in that situation very often. And if they do struggle um, against this very hard schedule, there's a chance that Brees Hall just isn't able to um, to get his feet under him in his rookie season. And if that happens, I think it can kind of evolve more into a timeshare as the season progresses. So that's the one thing that concerns me. I mean, I think this whole offense gets a little bit of a mulligan. Last year was Mike LaFleur's first year as an offensive coordinator. Uh, Wilson was a rookie. He missed some time. Their top two receivers missed a combined 14 games. So I still don't think we know exactly what this offense can be. I think the upside is definitely there. Um, but I, I think they could have some really tough growing pain uh, to start the year yeah i think last year i was preaching that these aren't your your you know your father's jets that there's a new regime in town we can't hold the, the you know the previous years against this group but they didn't uh, make much of a leap at all 
and that's now I'm now I'm soured on him. It takes one year, and then I'm out. Uh, I don't think I'm out, but is Brees Hall is I think the workload split. If he's getting 65, 70 percent, then he probably should be going earlier. If he's getting 55, 60, then that's about right where he's going. So we'll see. Uh, the next name is David Montgomery, and this is <laughs> this is a funny one because I ranked him fairly high in my initial set of rankings. You know, he's got back-to-back seasons with 20-plus touches on average, and he's going in the fifth round. I don't, like, I, I'm just thinking, I don't remember a time when there was a player this young going in the fifth round that had 20-plus touches on average, back-to-back seasons, and the team didn't add anybody else at running back that's going to threaten him. Uh, it's just this offensive line, Justin. It's it's bad. It's really yeah, it's, it's not. It's, it's really, not good. Yeah. It's not good. You've got them ranked thirty second. They also lost. I mean, they lost player. You could talk about that. Uh, there is a like. A, there is a. You could, as Chris Allen likes to say, you could tell yourself a story about players, and uh, there is definitely just a volume play here uh, with with him going as late as he's going. You could see him finishing RB fifteen or RB. 10 fairly easily if he has a little bit of touchdown luck or the offense is a little bit better than we think it's going to be but maybe speak to that offensive line and what your issues are with it yeah for sure and I'm, I'm with you I mean he's I don't see a way that he's not getting a huge percentage of the backfield touches but this this line is yeah it's, it's an issue um sports info solutions has a hit at line percentage metric which is pretty interesting um the bears led the league maybe that's not the best way to say it we're <laughs> we're last in the league at their running backs getting hit at the line of scrimmage of uh, 44 of their runs um and then they lost their most important their most important piece and james daniels who went to pittsburgh so that's a bummer um and right now they're is it the right guard yeah the right guard their uh their camp battle right now is between their sixth and seventh round picks as to who will be starting at right guard so yeah they were pretty miserable last year and then they lost their best piece so i'm i'm not looking very i'm not confident yeah yeah and then you have justin fields at quarterback perhaps stealing some rushing touchdowns but he might he might help the yards per carry uh just being a rushing threat if they are running the right types of plays tj any thoughts on this bears running game yeah i mean if we remember last year um for for the first half of the season for whatever reason they just weren't letting justin fields run after like week nine or so they they finally did and that's when we started seeing some of these 13 rush attempts 14 rush attempts even a 10 rush attempt game from david montgomery so there's a little bit of evidence there that he could see his um his his touches fall off now he did make up for that with targets quite a few times uh but but there's obviously concern there with fields and as you guys talked about with the uh with the offensive line and the potential of the offense like he's just one of those players that we see every year where they finishes rb you know 16 17 or whatever but they're usable or game winning weeks are just few and far between like they're just going to accumulate those end of season points um just through through uh attrition but from a week to week basis they just really aren't they're giving you like baseline fantasy points and i think that's kind of what david montgomery is going to be this year all right the next player uh, in adp is jk dobbins and i think this is kind of a a similar situation to to maybe javante williams or he's a really talented player uh, we would like him in a lead sort of role, but he's not in that situation. They are going to likely go extremely run heavy this year, the, the, the Ravens, but he's coming off of a, a knee injury. So is Gus Edwards. They've already talking about limiting both players at the start of the season, which doesn't really, uh, you know, appeal to 
people trying to draft him. Uh, I think, you know, maybe early in the offseason, he was going in the, I don't know, top 15. And uh, he's started to, to fall. And I think it's got a lot to do with the, the, the situation with the, uh, the backfield in terms of the split and uh, his knee injury in general and just lack of receiving. Uh, he's now going pick 56, uh, running back 21. So he's available in the fifth round. Uh, any thoughts on Dobbins, CJ? Yeah, the the more I really dive into this offense and and start you know getting into high volume drafts, the more I feel like the only players I'm I'm targeting on Baltimore are Lamar and Mark Andrews, and that even extends out to Rashad Bateman. Um, I mean, I, th- I just think Andrews is going to account for such huge target share. Neither of these running backs are going to catch a ton of passes. We know Lamar is going to be an obvious threat near near the goal line, and Gus Edwards. I mean, even if if they are both, you know, if they do both start the season, Gus Edwards is going to vulture some touchdowns. So we have like a true, if you include Lamar Jackson, a true three headed monster in the backfield in terms of both yardage and touchdown upside. Uh, so I I have serious concerns about this backfield that even with J.K. Dobbins' ADP uh, slipping, I, I mean, he's just like smack dab in the middle of this really, really gross group with Dave Montgomery, J.K. Dobbins, and then a couple other guys we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, I have him ranked 27th, and uh, he's going off the board 21st. So that's tough. Any thoughts on the offensive line? It's kind of a mediocre group, right, Justin? Yeah, pretty mediocre. Um, they dealt with another retirement and Alejandro Villanueva um, a year after um, another high-profile guy retired that I can't think of. Um, But they filled his shoes with Morgan Moses, which is all right, and then they got Tyler Linderbaum in the first round. Um, Yeah, they're pretty pretty middle of the road, honestly. So we're running a little bit long, which is okay, because this is an important discussion. And it's also, I like picking your brains about these rankings, and maybe it's helping me sort my rankings out a little bit. But we're going to skip Josh Jacobs, because I don't want to talk about Josh Jacobs. I don't want to draft Josh Jacobs, and I don't want any part of him. Uh, uh, But another player that is surprisingly available where he is is Antonio Gibson. Uh, I understand sort of why. Uh, but I think this is a his ADP is sort of a reflection of maybe the depth of the position because he's was basically a fringe RB one last year. And yes, they did draft uh, a running back, and uh, JD McKissick came back. I mean, he was a guy that when McKissick moved uh, was signed almost almost signed with the Bills. It you know Gibson was just like Javante entering the top ten conversation, um, maybe top eight. But now it's. Now we have Ron Rivera talking about Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. He's reminiscing about those days. Uh, but Gibson has been an 18, 19 touch player his career and has really been pretty good, uh, all things considered. Uh, they have a good offensive line, Justin. Uh, any thoughts on the changes that they made? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got a fringe, like top 10 unit there. Um, I don't think that's going to negatively impact gibson or um brian robinson i guess if he is really going to see the field as much as as ron rivera is saying um yeah i mean i um i haven't been taking a lot of antonio gibson but i really like him at his adp i think it's kind of being forced down by carson wentz and how terrible he looks last year but i mean jonathan taylor had a pretty decent (laughs) 2021 with carson wentz not that they're the same player but I think Gibson will have plenty of opportunities to make up this this uh, ADP here. Yeah, and we're talking sixth round for Gibson. Uh, it just to me, it just it's really late to be able to get a guy his youth, 
and then his production. I mean, I understand that Brian Robinson is there and that he might steal some carries and that if, if this Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams fever dream like comes back and then you have J.D. McKissick catching passes, it's really going to eat into Gibson's touches. But uh, TJ, what's your feel on this? Do you think that Gibson is going to continue to see like 16 to 18 touches per game? Or do you think he's going to be like more of a 12 to 14, 12 to 16 type guy? Yeah, I, I think he could fall into that 14, 15 range. And, and when we're talking about players, I mean, we always have to think about opportunity costs. And the next two guys in ADP, I'm taking 100 out of 100 times over Antonio Gibson. I mean, I think one of the things Ron Rivera is very good at is misusing his players and I think he's going to be able to, he has lots of opportunity to do that this year with McKissick um, uh, with with the rookie um, uh, Brian Robinson I, I I believe the coach speak I mean even even Curtis Samuel I mean uh, Ron Rivera didn't use him in this way when they were together but we've seen over the, when when uh, Samuel is healthy he can be used as kind of a slash running back type player so even he could get thrown into the mix so yeah I, I think this could be um an absolute nightmare and, and because of the guys going after him i'm i'm passing on him every single time this year so let's talk about some of those guys going after him and this is a fun one because elijah mitchell i wrote a big scribe in the waiver wire watch last year after week one saying you know put all your money on uh, on mitchell and fab and you're going to have a starter the rest of the year and that sort of worked out. Anytime he was healthy, he was seeing the vast majority of the touches. I think this whole Kyle Shanahan, Shanahanigans thing is way overblown. Uh, he picked Mostert as a starter, and Mostert, whenever he was healthy, was seeing the vast majority of the carries. And once Mostert went down, that player became Mitchell. And yes, he was in and out of the lineup with some injuries, and that caused some you know, chaos. But anytime there's chaos in the San Francisco backfield, it's due to injury. It's not due to, oh, we're going to play Jeff Wilson now, or, you know, we're going to feed Michael or Hasty now or whatever. And they did have uh, Tyrion Davis Price, uh, who reportedly is going to be a top two option for them. Uh, they're, they're thinking that that's going to be a one-two punch with Mitchell, which is interesting. Um, the offensive line seems like it's taken a step back. Justin, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I have them ranked 13th, which, which is actually probably optimistic as it is. Uh, Alex Mack retired, I think, near the end of March. Or was that more recently? Well, he, this spring, the center retired. Um, they let Lincoln Tomlinson go to New York to play with Robert Sala. And they didn't do anything but add a fourth rounder in the draft. So it's pretty net negative movement there. Um, the reason they're even this high is just because of how much I like Trent Williams. He might be the best offensive lineman in the league, and he'll do a lot to anchor the left side of the line. Uh, but, yeah, they could easily fall far outside of this ranking if they don't gel with, um, you know, kind of some replacement-level backup interior linemen. So we'll see. So, the you know, the question is, do we have confidence in Kyle Shanahan coaching up this line, offensive line coaches there coaching up this line? 18.8 uh, carries, 1.7 receptions per game when he was healthy. Mitchell was is Mitchell one of these players, TJ? That you're taking 
over Gibson for sure. Yeah, every single time. And and the Shanahan argument, like the just the huge flaw in the Shanahan argument is that his running back by committee is end of season numbers. The thing that that leaves out is if we look at it at a game by game basis, he almost always prefers to have a running back carry the load on a per game basis. He's just had a lot of trouble uh, either keeping keeping those guys healthy for the most part um, uh, since his time with San Francisco. And the thing that doesn't take into account is there's almost no other uh, play caller like. The only one I could think of is uh, Sean Payton that involves his running backs at such a high rate as Shanahan. So even if there is a time split, like the pie is so much bigger in a Shanahan offense. And we've seen, we saw just as early as last year, how easily a running back with draft capital can fall out of favor. Like Trey Sermon was just straight up, not even suiting up last year because, um, b- because of how bad he was. And I don't know if Ty- Tyron Davis price is going to be that guy, but if we're going to be talking about concerns of Elijah Mitchell losing carries, who was top 10 in yards after contact per attempt last year, th- it's going to be either to Debo or to even Trey Lance. But I-, I think Elijah Mitchell is on the field as long as he's healthy, uh, easily 80, 90% of snaps. So I'm, I'm scooping up Mitchell every time here. Yeah, and Mitchell, like, there's nothing vulnerable about his performance last year. Like, he he had 4.65 yards per carry, he had the fifth highest yards per uh, after contact per attempt for uh, pro football reference, um, four three speed, which is what Mostert had, and you can see that's what Shanahan sort of gravitates to. But they do they might you know use Davis Price now and a little bit more of a compliment to try to keep Mitchell healthy, and maybe you don't see 18.8 carries, but maybe you're seeing 16.8 carries and a and a catch or two. But still, that'll be a good value. In the sixth round, I mean, if you can get Elijah Mitchell as your RB two in the sixth round. That's, I think, I think you're you're winning. Uh, and you and you wrote Justin for more info on Mitchell. You said that he was the best or the best dead zone running back in the in the league. Yeah, I yeah. I'm definitely on board with Mitchell this year. Um, I mean, the the I mean, just to repeat what you guys were saying, the Shana, Shanahanisms, <laughs> Shanahanigans, the, yeah, Shanahanigans. Shanahanigans. Um, that's kind of overblown. And I, I touched on that as well in the article. Um, but you, you know, it's mostly injuries and you can look and look at the end of your numbers and go, Oh, it's a different running back every year. Like, yeah, but it's either 30 year old Carlos Hyde or someone who was forced in as a rotation back because of an injury or Elijah Mitchell, even though he missed six games, he still was the, the workhorse when he was there. So yeah, I'm definitely aiming for Mitchell in that in this dead zone anytime I can get him. And if if you do draft him as your RB two, you should just plan on him missing some games. So if you could pick up some other starts elsewhere, you got to be paying attention because he's probably not going to play, uh, you know, 17 games this year. Uh, that sort of takes us out of the dead zone, and there are a few players that I wanted to pick your brains about uh, that are like names. I'm like, oh, that's interesting that he's going that late. Um, Chase Edmonds is one. He's Miami paid him a lot of money and a lot more money than Michelle, Sony Michelle or Raheem Mostert. Uh, the offensive line, it looks to me, Justin's improved. They've added a couple of pieces, uh, big money, you know, invested in that offensive line. Uh, they do have, they did, you know, you get Edmonds in there and then they do sort of take the wind out of his sales by, by signing Mostert and then signing Michelle. Um, but Edmonds is easily the best pass catcher of that group. And he's a pretty good, you know, runner in the zone system, I think. So he's going, where is he going? Pick 113. Uh, what do we think about this uh, with that offensive line, uh, Justin? I think that's a, a fair a fair price there. Uh, they definitely added a ton of uh, big name 
big name pieces of the offensive line. Teron, Teron Armstead from uh, New Orleans and Connor Williams from Dallas. Those are two great players. Um, Armstead has had a long history of issues with staying on the field. Um, and Connor Williams might be moved over to center, which is kind of awkward because he's, as far as I can tell, he's never taken a snap at center through his NFL or college career, which was kind of awkward. So that's why they're still kind of down here in the low 20s range for me. But I mean, if it, maybe Connor Williams is an incredible center and it'll boost the entire line. But yeah, they're better than they left off last season, I think 31st or 32nd. So definitely better than being the worst line in the league we were just talking about Kyle Shanahan and his his OC is Mike McDaniel I believe is the OC he's not now the uh head coach of the Dolphins so we might see a big jump in the offensive efficiency if he's as smart as he seems he's kind of a nerdy type analytics type so TJ any thoughts on the Miami offense or backfield yeah I haven't <clears throat> really decided how I feel about this offense as a whole. I mean, obviously bringing Tyreek over, like what's what leap is two we're going to make? Like when I look at Mostert and Michelle, they are guys that have been been good in Spurs. Michelle, notably uh, late last year, Mostert has had some, some nice games with the 49ers. But if there is a running back following the money that is going to run away at the backfield, I think it's very obviously Chase Edmonds. Now the likelihood of that happening, I think like for him being a, a 20 touch guy or whatever, I think is pretty low, but all of this is baked into his ADP. And, and this is the point in drafts where we're drafting our RB three or even RB four, and you're not make you're not giving up these huge sacrifices at specifically at wide receiver or even like with the early round tight end as you are with these guys in the dead zone. So I'm more willing to take risks on guys like Edmonds than guys like Jacobs or Gibson, even though their projections are probably pretty close. Um, that gap in ADP just really makes up for it. I think I need to bump up Edmonds a little bit. I have him at 35. He's going off the board 36, and you know I could see him you know, with 15 touches a game and like four catches, right? Like 11, it doesn't take much to get him there. Um, so he's definitely somebody that's on my radar. I think he's a pretty talented player and the offensive line's improved. Uh, another player going late, which is surprising, but I guess not that surprising considering that he's older than average uh, for running back. But uh, Cordell Patterson, who had a breakout season as, you know, I don't know, a 30-year-old guy. Uh, he was the fantasy RB9 um uh, for the last last season and prior to his ankle sprain week 10 he was a fantasy rb7 through the first nine weeks they got rid of his primary competition which was mike davis but they added uh tyler algier in the uh draft and it does sound like as a fifth round pick by the way he's a bruiser uh, he could take some of that between the tackles work uh without infringing on patterson's money touches they did seem like they want to get patterson involved especially in the red zone so this might actually be Good from him, good for him on a per touch basis, and given the state of the receiving core in Atlanta, he may run even more routes than he did last year. But they did sort of weirdly go away from him as maybe their most effective player last year. Um, but you know where he's going in drafts is kind of a steal, in my opinion. Uh, what do you? I mean, the offensive line's bad, so we'll just we'll get to Justin after that. After TJ has a chance to, to chime in on Cordell Patterson, what do you think? TJ. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this offense could just end up being 
producing no no fruit like I, there, there's a chance that what what patterson offered last year was just kind of out of necessity um after after calvin ridley not playing and then not getting what they wanted out of mike davis you mentioned algier but they also drafted uh drake london who can uh, obviously cut into some of that wide receiver work i, I think kyle pitts is just going to be an absolute beast and be the the centerpiece of their offense and then say what you will about Matt Ryan, like he gave them a a chance to be a viable offense despite their lack of weapons last year. Now, whether it's Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter, both of those guys are guys that are going to run it as well, right? So they're probably going to take away some rushing opportunities from Patterson. So if if I had to bet, I would say last year was more of an aberration than than things to come. Uh, So uh, again, going back to the the opportunity cost there's players around him that we're discussing that I would just rather have than him. Let's talk about AJ Dillon, uh, who is sort of a intriguing option as like, is he the first like straight up RB two that we're talking about here? I think he is. So um, great offensive line there. They had some losses money wise, Justin, but they're getting David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins back. I, love, I did see a note today that Jenkins may not be ready at the start of the year, but you know, for the meat of the season, he should be back and Bakhtiari should be back. So whatever losses they had are going to be offset there, I would think. And you have them ranked third. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I'm still aggressive on them. Uh, they're pretty much adding back two of the top five best linemen in the league. So, I mean, that should, <laughs> that's, that should, that should be worth a lot. Um, so they, they lost, some stuff they've added to their depth in the third and fourth round of the draft. Um, I am a little bit worried about Bakhtiari and Jenkins coming back soon, like preferably by week one. Um, they've both been rehabbing together, which it, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. It seems like it would be a positive. Um, so hopefully we hear some sort of news in the next month or so from either of them. Bakhtiari has been nursing this injury for Oh man, like 18 months now. So yeah, hopefully it comes back, you know, 110%. Uh, TJ was Dylan, one of the players you were taking over Gibson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Elijah Mitchell and AJ Dylan are going right after Gibson and ADP. And I, I mean, I, I alluded to this earlier, but everybody's looking at who is going to be the pass catcher that replaces Devonte Adams. And I mean, I, th- I think, why not just replace Devontae Adams with your two best weapons? And I think the Packers' two best weapons right now are Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And it's not unheard of for two offenses to support two top 15 running backs. Now, Aaron Rodgers isn't just going to turn around and hand the ball off 35 times a game, but he's going to orchestrate a very efficient offense. He could do that through a wide receiver by committee, just use all of his guys to be very efficient. And then his running backs just smash through pass catching and obviously touchdown upside. And AJ Dillon's a very underrated pass catcher. He didn't get a lot of opportunity last year as a pass catcher, but when he did, he performed very well. So I think that the Packers just end up using Dillon, uh, you, you know, as, as much of if not more than any RB2 in the league. Like, this could be a situation where both of these guys go over 200 touches this year. So I love A.J. Dillon as an RB2. I, I think you have to kind of look at this as a, a backfield as a whole, as an offense as a whole, and not think of A.J. Dillon as an RB2, but just as their their second best weapon on offense. His his workload has to increase. If, if they are going to go with Jones, I mean, Jones' splits with Devontae Adams out are insane. Yeah. Yeah. as a receiver so if they are going to and that doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're going to do for a full season like i i preach this that 
you know, maybe this is them trying to get through a week without Devante and that they're going to, you know, feed Jones, but he did has shown the ability to catch the ball at a very, very high level. So we might see more snaps with both running backs on the field together. And if they are going to give him uh, Jones more uh, receptions, then they are probably going to take a few carries away. And that means more Dylan, at least as a runner and, you know, another reminder on Dylan as a pass catcher, just because a player is not asked to do something in college does not mean that they can't or are incapable of doing it. So you keep that in mind when these, these players come out of college with almost no catches, it might just be the scheme and not necessarily the talent of the individual. Uh, I like it. I mean, I think Dylan is also a player with top five upside if anything were to happen to Jones. Uh, so you get a guy and there's not that many players in the league where you get a guy who's got a weekly value. He could probably going to be a weekly starter, at least on a fringe level. And then also has that top five sort of upside. Um, one more player I want to talk about for sure. Maybe we'll get into it a couple more if I, if you guys could stick around, but Miles Sanders, I, I think he's good. Justin, you have the offensive line rated first, right? Or second, uh, incredible offensive line, but he had zero touchdowns last year after six, the previous year. And maybe TJ, if you have the mm-hmm. expected touchdown yep. data available, uh, yeah, he was expected for, he was expected for about five. Okay, so it was just bad, kind of bad luck for him. Um, but he like this is a spot where you have a great offensive line, you have a talented player, but we just don't want to draft him because of previous seasons and just the way the RBBC is, you know, set up here with Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell. Um, what do you guys think about Miles Sanders? Uh, TJ, why don't you go first? Yeah, I, I think his um, his best outcome is very Devin Singletary ish where he can, he's probably going to give you some, some very good spike games. I think this offense uh, does have a very high range of outcomes, bringing in AJ Brown. I mean, Jalen Hurts stunk last year, but uh, over the the first half of the season, they, they did want to be a passing team. Obviously Jalen Hurts is going to take away some of that rushing upside, but I think what Miles Sanders has going for him is that before he started, uh getting those injuries last year over the first seven weeks of the season or six weeks of the season he was averaging 67 percent of the backfield touches then injuries he was just back and forth on and off the field and wasn't able to regain that but i think they want him to be the lead back and if the offense can take that leap with hertz with aj brown um then there is going to be touchdown opportunity now is he going to get 20 touches per game as he score a touch is going to be a 15 touchdown guy probably not so the frustrating thing about him is going to be trying to figure out where to start him but i mean getting him this late getting him as a, a guy that could potentially recoup that 67 percent touch share i think it's definitely worth the risk here yeah and rb3 you know as your rb3 it's pretty intriguing his issue has been health durability uh but i haven't done my write-up on him yet but he he finished in the top 21 in both yards uh, after uh, contact per attempt and uh, attempt per broken tackle or broken tackles per attempt. So uh, a really solid running back. He's got receiving ability as well and a great offensive line. Justin, what do you think about that offensive line there? I definitely think the offensive line is great. And this is a scenario where I'm kind of arguing with myself because it, it's not convincing me to take Miles Sanders anymore, any more than I would if it was a bad offensive line, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of ec- – echo some of the same concerns even though he's playing behind this great line um he ran a career low in routes he finished uh 45th in targets out of uh all running backs and now they have aj brown in um they clearly still have jalen hurts to run the ball 
right next to him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he could have spike weeks if he does fall in the end zone some more, and he does have this great offensive line. So maybe this is a, a better and best ball play, but I have, I don't think I've drafted him in the 20 or so underdog drafts I've done so far. So I'm yeah, sure usually I'll have some. I think yeah, usually there's uh, receivers there that are just more appealing than, yeah. than these, the, these running backs. And the tough part about Miles Sanders is if you do like the Eagles, he's kind of going around Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, and Jalen Hurts. Like they're kind of all clumped together. So if you're trying to figure out, like I'd, I'd probably want the passing game instead. So that's also a difficult thing about him right now. And uh, I was just looking to see who else is going around that point in the draft and lo- trying to locate the guy, Sanders, Sanders, Sanders. Uh, Ayuk, Christian Kirk. I guess it's not. These receivers aren't that appealing. Russell Gage is going ahead of them. Sky Moore. Wow. These are some, I'm not going to say they're reaches, but holy smokes. Uh, Tyler Lockett, though. Uh, this is not a receiver. This is not a, keep John on track here. This is not a receiver uh, podcast. Last guy we're going to talk about. This will be it. Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Now, the reason I want to talk about him is that he has a great offensive line. Uh, I think you have them second, and then you had the, Eagles first, uh, Justin, but um, <laughs> Daryl Williams is out of the way, but they brought in Ronald Jones, uh, who can run the ball, and we know that, and they also re-signed Jarek McKinnon, who's actually playing ahead of Edward, Edward Hilaire in some situations late last year when Edward Hilaire was uh, not being productive. He was coming off of, apparently coming off of a gallbladder surgery, which nobody knew about. It's right up there with the uh, Cooper Cup. Uh, Matthew Stafford's uh, breakfasts uh, every day uh, news where we didn't get it in time. Uh, what do we think about this backfield? Is this going to be like my inclination is this is going to be Ronald Jones probably getting a lot of first and second down carries and then Edward Tillier sprinkling in on first and second down and uh, catching the ball quite a bit and maybe even Jarek McKinnon working in on that uh, workload if Edward Tillier is not doesn't take a step forward efficiency wise. Uh, Justin, why don't you talk about the offensive line first and how what you'd make of this backfield? Sure, yeah. Um, not a lot of movement in the offseason. They added Garen Christian from Houston, and he'll just be playing a backup role. Um, I referenced the the Bills kind of just throwing a bunch of mid-level guys at the wall and seeing if they'll stick a couple of years ago. The Chiefs did this last year, and it was amazing. Um, they finished somewhere in the top 10 by the end of last season. And that's without any of them ever taking a snap together. So I think after a whole season and, of course, this entire offseason, if they all stay healthy, I mean, it's going to be a, a great group. And they clearly have the best quarterback in the league. So there's a lot of positives for the offense as a whole. And then CEH has uh, Ronald Jones back there now, who is notoriously bad at, um, in the pass game. So maybe that could be a boost for CEH and in the passing game, get a little bump in targets, which gives him a little more of a floor. And obviously, he's tied to this this offense as a whole, and they just lost Tyree Kill, so maybe he will find himself with some more receptions by the end of the year. He's a former first-round pick, and th- those types of players tend to get more chances. TJ, what do you think of this backfield? Yeah, <clears throat> before before they signed Jarek McKinnon, I was willing to take the risk on CEH as the potential RB one just because of how late he was going because he is tied to potentially the best offense in the league. If you look at Ronald Jones last year, um, his, some of his advanced uh, metrics were some of the worst in the league. The problem was so were CEHs. And I was just thinking that 
as you said, if they are going to give a, a player an opportunity, it would be the, the incumbent there. But with them signing Jarek McKinnon, seeing what we saw down the stretch, it's kind of feeling more like this is just going to be a, a true committee, a really hot hand approach. So if you're getting him, if his ADP starts to dip again because of the McKinnon signing, we see them all converging and say, the ninth or even tenth round. I don't think they'll, they'll, we'll see an RB one going into the tenth round. But say that the ninth round. I mean, by all means. But uh, he's not somebody I'm going out of out of my way to get. I think before they got McKinnon, I I, I got most of my shares. He wasn't one of my most drafted players in um, in May and early June. But now I'm I'm kind of uh, gonna let that situation settle. And and I think I'm I'm probably out on the KC backfield for the most part. It's just interesting, you know, this is one of the best offenses in the league run by the second best quarterback in the league after Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but it's so tempting to have uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, going in the seventh round. But I'm looking at the uh, ADP right now and, you know, Elijah Mitchell, 70 or 71, pick 71, A.J. Dillon, 72, and then Edwards-Hilaire, 79, Miles Sanders, 81, Tony Pollard, 86. It does seem like there's a drop-off at the end of that sixth round where, you know, you know what you're getting and then all of a sudden – you don't know what you're going to get uh, getting into the seventh, eighth round, which is sort of makes sense as the as the draft moves on. Um, that's about all the time we have. I uh, appreciate you guys spending an extra, I don't know, half hour with me talking about these uh, dead zone running backs. Uh, a lot of good information here. Hopefully we can splice this up into some videos where we, you know, different player conversations uh, on YouTube. Uh, but you'll see that uh, video on youtube and the podcast will be up soon uh that's all the time we have for today uh thanks to tj and justin for their insight and we'll see you next time on four quarters fans the most accurate podcast